Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share about short-term missions. Lord, I just pray that you would speak through Tim. Help him to share only your words, Lord, and that everything that's shared will be a blessing and inspiration, Lord. Help us to be inspired to go and to serve the least of these, Lord, that your name would be glorified, and that those in this world, Lord, that they would come to know you as you truly are, a God who loves us just as we are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what is missions? Someone give me a definition of missions. Seeking and saving the lost. What else? Doing for others. Doing for others. I like that. What else? Reaching out to others. Well, someone always told me when I was in school, you're either a missionary or a mission field one of the two things, right? And we want to be a missionary. We want to be able to reach out as much as we can. And what I try to tell people is you can be a missionary wherever you are. You all have talents. You all have blessing, potential for everybody. I remember that I have the burns here so I can talk about them, right? So when we were at Weimar, we would go over there and we would just be. It wasn't really necessarily that they cooked a giant elaborate meal, although Mrs. Burns is an excellent cook, but that wasn't really what they did. They were just able to be a family for those of us who didn't have families, like our families had disowned us, or we were far away. I remember I came over with Chris Hawkinson. Do you remember Chris Hawkinson? He's in Australia now. He still remembers you guys from way back when. He still talks as much as he did before, right? But he's like, he's got a bunch of kids and stuff like that, but he still remembers that. And many times we don't think of being a missionary in the traditional sense. We think, well, we just open our homes. But that is ministry. That's a talent. That's something. I remember even something that Wally shared with me is to share with people even the struggles that you have. Right? I remember him giving wisdom to his son Lawrence. And he says, these are the struggles you're going to have, my son. You're going to struggle with pride. You're going to struggle with this. And he was very vulnerable with him. And that's the thing is that sometimes we think that being a missionary, we've got to have it all together. We've got to have everything correct. But sometimes it's in your weakness that God can actually use you. Yes, exactly. Was Jonah the perfect prophet? When God called him to go to Nineveh, where did he go? He went to, to yes, he went to Joppa, right? Like, wait a minute, Tarshish, huh? I didn't tell you to go there. And even at the end, was he really in the right spirit? He was hoping what would happen to Nineveh. They would be annihilated, right? God had to work with him and say, hey, wait a minute, shouldn't I have mercy on them? There's 120,000 people here. But I believe that at the end of that, you're going to see a good ending, even in Jonah. Jonah's kind of painted as the heel of that story, right? Not really in a very favorable light. But I just wanted to share that all of us have talents, and maybe it's not always what you would think, but it could be opening your home. It could be sharing a struggle that you went with with somebody. It could be sharing... Um, how you overcame something, or it could be sharing how you're still struggling 
with something and what's helped you to keep going what's helped you to have faith to keep faith with God now of course with me um, I am an emergency physician as many of you know and many of my short-term projects are related to my talent right so I try to use the talents that God has given me as a speaker use the talent that God has given me as a physician as a speaker as whatever it is but to use those for him and how many people have a gift of the Spirit? How many people? Everybody. Everybody, right? God has given to everyone a measure of faith or a gift of the Spirit. So all of us have those gifts and all of us can do something. But I'm going to just kind of share. Um, this is a website of a... Let's see. I have gone to a lot of different projects over the years and we'll go here can you see that I don't know if you guys can see that can you see it whoops that's huge can you see that do you know what country that was in Chile not Chile it's I'll give you a hint it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere Haiti. Haiti, that's right. Exactly, it's Haiti. So when Haiti had the big earthquake, I decided to go there and try to help out. And I went to our Adventist hospital in Haiti. Now, could I have gone to other hospitals? Do you yes. think they needed help? Sure, there was, there was the government hospital, there's a private hospital, there was the, the Adventist hospital, the military hospital, there's lots of different places I could have gone. But in general, when you're doing ministry, God wants you to work with his people, if you can. Work with your church, that's a principle. Work with what is near you. So I went with the Adventist church, I went with Haiti to our hospital, and many of these people were on the floor, right? You just work with what you have. That's a principle of being a missionary. You may not have much. These patients didn't even have a bed. All they had was a mat. And people think, well, I don't have a big house. I don't have enough room for people. But you have a house. That's something more than the vast majority of people have. Do you know where people were staying in the earthquake? They were staying out on the street because they were afraid to stay in their houses. What were they afraid of? An aftershock, exactly, of it collapsing on them. So they actually slept out on the street when I was there because that seemed to be safer. So... When I took care of people, I didn't have any radiologist. I didn't have any person to interpret the films for me. I had to read them myself. And that's another principle of being a missionary. God can use you. You may not be able to have the expertise, but you can use what you have, right? You may not be able to do everything. I'm not a radiologist. I didn't train to be a radiologist. I didn't even have an x-ray box. I'm like holding it up to the light so I can actually see the x-ray and do the best that I can. And that's all you may be able to do, right? You may only have a little thing of flour and a little oil, right? That's, that's all you may have. But you know, you can share that with somebody. Amen. And I'm telling you that God will bless you in doing that. You may not have a lot of talents, but you have something 
that everybody needs, and that is the Lord, right? That is His truth. And the way people can understand that is they can see that you're trying the best that you can. Do you think any of these patients say, well, I want it read by the radiologist? Do you think any of them said that? They were happy to get the care that they got. This guy was on the floor, right? I had to end up intubating this guy because he had popped his lung. And what's interesting is I had to, had, we tried some medications, but eventually I had to intubate him and I had to needle his chest because he had a popped lung. And I took him in the back of the truck, it wasn't even an ambulance. I took him in the back of the truck to the military hospital because I didn't have a ventilator. I just, I didn't want one of my staff to be just doing this all night. They had an open ventilator. I had to trade an oxygen tank that you see on the side there. I had to trade an oxygen tank See this little thing here? I had to give them that to, to basically get them to take this patient. You know, you do the best that you can, uh, you know, in the situation that you're in. So that guy survived. This is a baby here uh, when we saw in, in Haiti, and the baby actually was in distress. We actually had to intubate that baby, and I ended up sending that baby to the ship, the naval ship on the... Um, you know, on the ocean, like there's like a floating hospital. And people say, well, you know, they, they, they got, got better care, you know, they, you know, that's the military, they, they took care of them and, you know, you should have just let them take care of the kid from the beginning. No, I called later, the baby died. Yeah. So the thing is, is that you're not doing so bad necessarily. Even sending them to the best possible place may not be ideal. <coughs> And they may be better off in your hands. Mm -hmm. So don't always think that, oh, I got to send them to the expert or whatever. You may not be the expert. You may be the hands of Jesus at that time mm -hmm. for them. And if that person maybe wants to kill themselves, I mean, you may be the person who stops them mm -hmm. from killing yourself. You may call 911. You may call whatever. And I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm just saying just try to realize that God can use you like anyone else um, around. So when we were there in Haiti, some of the things that really kind of uh, impressed me was this, the, just the devastating diagnosis. Like this guy had a house collapse on him and his, both of his legs were shattered in about 12 different pieces. And I remember talking to him uh, and doing what I could to kind of relieve his pain. And what's very interesting is this is the guy who had his leg shattered. I couldn't speak Creole or French or anything like that. I was trying to say, you know, medicine, you know, do you need this? Do you need that? And he couldn't really talk to me. And he finally just went like that. And then I got a translator and I said, so you don't want any pain medication? Aren't you in pain? He said, yes, of course. I'm in excruciating pain. I'm in horrible pain. But I realize that your team rescued me out of that collapsed house. And if you hadn't done that, I would have died because I was drinking water off the ground, a, a burst pipe. And I was pinned down, my legs, my legs couldn't move. You got me out of that house. And although I'm in horrible pain, I have hope that I will walk again because you guys just did a procedure on me and I believe that I'll walk again. Like, it wasn't so much 
that we had done the procedure, got him out of the house or whatever, but he says, I have hope. There's so many people here in Haiti, they don't have any hope that things will get any better. But you and your people have given me hope. Thank you so much for doing that. And that's what you can do for people. You can share with them your own experience. You can share with them you know, your own testimony on, on what has brought you through something. And I mean, it doesn't have to be anything complex. You don't have to be a doctor to give someone hope. Yes, it's nice you know, to rescue someone out of a collapsed building or be able, Scott Nelson was one of my uh, teachers. He's the one who put the rods through his femurs and repaired his legs. But I was just taking care of people, trying to make sure they didn't get infected and things like that, giving them pain medications. But I'll never forget that guy said, I want you to take my pain medication and give it to that lady over there. Because she was going, woo, woo. Like that's how she kind of dealt with the pain. She would kind of sing a little song or something like that. And because we only had so much medication and he recognized that. He's like, I want you to give it to her. I'm a young man, I'll be okay. I'm just thankful that I know that. He was a missionary. Yes, exactly. He was a missionary for her and, uh, and to me. Uh, I also remember our team all joined together and all of us were not physicians, just so you know. There were people there that were pharmacists, that were nurses, that were paramedics. But did you know what one of the team did? We had a team come from America and all they did was cook three vegan meals a day for the team. That's it. But that's being a missionary, yeah. right? Because what are we going to eat if we didn't eat that? You know, we'd eat beans and rice, I guess, <laughs> for three meals a day for two and a half weeks. That would have been pretty boring. But we had, because of these, this group of individuals, we had three like nice vegan meals a day. It was fantastic. I didn't get to eat most of them because I was so busy. I worked like 13 or 14 nights in a row. I can't remember what it was. But, but the thing is, I happily did that because I knew that it wasn't going to be forever. Right? And that's the thing that I tell people is you're going to have time to rest. It's not going to be forever, right? Uh, June and Wally, they had kids over, but they didn't have them 24-7. The kids went home to the dorm eventually, right? But they had them over for a meal or a Sabbath or something like that, and they could, you know, spend a little time because they know it's not going to be forever. They know you're going to be able to recharge, have your devotional time, have your family worship, stuff like that. They had a very balanced life they were very very calm I remember that is when I went to school they were never excited things didn't fluster them and I could see that's because they had a balanced relationship with each other so they could have a relationship uh, with us and their their kids were gone so we were kind of their kids uh, at the time at Mars. so well actually no Cheryl was there right for a little while for a little while Lawrence I don't think he was there so yeah so so all of us had different roles uh, on this mission trip and, and you may not be the doctor right you may think that your role isn't as important but remember what 2nd Corinthians 12 says because I'm not a I am I not of the body am I not a hand did you know that if you get your little toe chopped off you can't walk did you know that just a little toe isn't that wild mm. that little toe is really important for you to walk and you may think well I'm just a little toe that's important. If you can't walk, that's a problem, right? So just keep in mind, not all of us were physicians on these mission trips. You can use your own um, sort of talents, and uh, that's what I would say 
to everyone. And what I would say also is when you looked at, I'll go to South Sudan. Anyone remember the genocide in Sudan? This was a very interesting um, sort of situation that I was in. Uh, let's see if we can make it a little bigger. There we go. So South Sudan was not its own country. Did you know that? That Sudan was actually together at one point. But they became their own country because what happens is apparently northern Sudan was coming down to southern Sudan and just like annihilating them. Because northern Sudan is Arab and Muslim, southern Sudan is black and Christian. So it's almost like an ethnic sort of genocide. But a lot of you from Africa to, and that continent understand that this happens a lot, sort of things. So when we were there in Sudan, uh, there was me, a family physician, and an actual Nur. He was from the Nura tribe. I don't know if any of you remember who Manute Bol was. He was a Dinka, a really tall, skinny basketball player. He was also from Sudan. But I remember seeing a lot of individuals that were like women and children. And this is like a gunshot blast through someone's arm. And when I took care of this person, it was like full of flies and full of pus. It was like terrible. And what I had to do every day was numb these wounds up and clean them up, um, debreed them, um, try to help them flush it out. Here's them kind of irrigating the wound. And this is like an evidence of the craziness in Sudan. They had these big shotgun machete sort of wounds. And people would say, well, wait, why are you only showing us pictures of women and children? I said, because the men are all dead. That's what happened. And so I had the privilege of taking care of each one of these traumatic wounds of, of these uh, individuals. And I want to share with you, there was one individual in particular that I thought was really amazing. Um, every day she was very sad. She would, she would not say anything. I would just come clean her wounds and whatever. And the thing was is that when she um, would interact with us, she would not say a word. Like she was very like, you know, very sad it seemed like, whatever. And um, I remember thinking, you know, what can I do for these individuals? Because all that I could do was the medical sort of aspect and not really anything else, but the wounds weren't getting any smaller. I mean, they were clean, but they still had these big gaping wounds. And I just prayed and I said, God, tell me what's going on. What is happening uh, that these wounds aren't closing? And God just impressed me, stay here in the hospital. I said, but I'm here like so long, I'm so tired. He's like, just stay here. So I stayed there. And at night I saw that the families would come visit and they would bring food. And I said, oh, what's for supper? And they said, what is your word for supper? I said, oh, that's the third meal. They said, this is their first meal. And it was a pail of watery rice. That's all it was. Because in, in this country, unless your family brought you food, the hospital didn't give you any food. You had to bring food for your loved ones. And so what I did is I went back to my suitcase and I got a bunch of food for the patients and these individuals. And it was amazing the change that started happening 
I got them each. I don't know if any of you have heard of organic food bar. They're almond based and stuff like that. They're like 300 calories a piece, but they're whole, whole plant foods, organic, everything, very high protein. So they each got three organic food bars and a pack of nuts. And I wrote it as an order and the nurse said, well, I want some. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You can't have any. She's like, well, my family needs food too. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have a shotgun blast through your, your thigh. Mm. So if I find out you take any, I'll make sure you get fired. I said, so give this to the patients. Three organic food bars, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, plus a pack of nuts. And what do you know? All their wounds started going because they just didn't have any protein or calories, right? They had no food. We, we think about, wow, I'm starving. We have never been starving. I'm telling you that right now. These individuals, like I've never seen people respond to food like this. But of course, I was out of food at that point. I gave everybody my food. So I ended up eating goat there in Sudan because that's all they had. They had a pot of goat or a pot of fish. And I can tell you, it's really chewy. It's really kind of gamey, you know? You just chew it and chew it and chew it. And after five minutes, I say, well, I guess I swallow it because it's the same size as when I started. <laughs> I guess I just swallow the goat. But that's the principle of the health message. You do the best you can, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't go out to the grocery store and buy goat, mm -hmm. right? Because I can buy better stuff, right? So that's what I tell people. Just do the best you can in the situation that you're in and don't sweat it. But I can tell you this um, lady who was older, this is actually one of, I think, the younger people that I treated. But I noticed one day, I said, you smiled at me for the first time today. Tell me why that is. She says, because my husband was killed. My children were taken captive. I don't know where they are. And I said, God, why didn't I die? Why didn't I die? And I had no hope. But this first day, after you've given me all this food, is I can stand up without feeling dizzy. Mm -hmm. And now I have hope that I will find my children again. Mm -hmm. And that I will begin once more. Mm -hmm. So she had hope. And I gave her hope, not by the cleaning of the wounds, but by just getting her some food, you know? And it may be something very simple that someone needs. They might just need someone to talk to, maybe a, a, a smile, right? If you see somebody sitting by themselves, go sit with them. You never know what that person is struggling with. So this particular individual, she was just depressed, you know? And her blood counts were low, and we just gave her some food, and it made a huge difference. And the wounds started healing, even though they were giant through and through wounds, they started healing. Um, you know, we got people up and walking and uh, people definitely got better uh, over time. But I can tell you that it's not always the big things that makes the biggest difference in people's lives. I never thought that the packs of nuts that I was collecting in the airport were going to serve any purpose other than me eating some of them, right? I didn't realize they were going to close shotgun blast wounds mm -hmm. and close machete wounds mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's what, you know, they were neat for. And I want to kind of close with uh, the last project. How many of you remember the big storm that went through the Philippines about 10 years ago? You remember that? It's like a huge storm. And um, I can tell you that I went with a group with a group of individuals, and that was my nurse right there. And there's gonna be an important story about her at, at the end, so don't, uh, don't let me forget. But I, of course, used my expertise as a physician to take care of people. There's a lot of traumatic injuries you can imagine. 
it was the worst storm in human history. But I remember just looking at the people coming and coming and um, even though they had lost everything, they were willing to wait in line like for 12 hours, you know, to get any sort of dental care, any sort of anything, even though, I mean, there was really nothing left. When we looked around some areas, they were, they were completely flattened. Um, it was rare to see a tree with leaves. Um, the airport was completely flooded. There was like only one flight that could go out a day and it was usually the military flight. The uh, Tacloban Seventh-day Adventist Church the roof was completely destroyed. Uh, I mean, there was no transportation in and out. Everything was like generator uh, driven. There was no like fuel that people could get because all those, <laughs> the gas stations were all destroyed. I mean, you could pretty much just walk around and uh, that was kind of it. But what I wanted to share um, kind of with this scenario was, um, just my perspective, I'll put it up as a slideshow here. This, does anyone know Lifestyle TV? Has anyone ever heard of Lifestyle TV? It's one of our Adventist television stations, but this is the brother of the president of Lifestyle TV. He took all these pictures. And this is a picture, this is the off-going doc, and I'm the oncoming doc. I talked to him and I said, Pastor, I mean, Dr. Rodriguez, um, you want to just observe our team because we went to the Philippines with about 12 doctors and we went with, like I said, not just doctors, pharmacists, physical therapists. We had a cook. We had an EMT. We had people who were a counselor. We had a social worker. We had all these different <coughs> sort of um, support sort of personnel with our team. And I remember I was getting ready to take over from this guy. And I looked out on a sea of heads, like 500 people. And you can see my expression. It doesn't look positive, does it? And I look kind of worried there, don't I? It's because I'm like, there's no way. There's no way we can do this. And I remember talking to him. I'm like, do you want to stay on and kind of help us out and kind of direct us? He's like, no. I've been up without any sleep besides an hour or two for the last 14 days. Wow. Mm -hmm. And at one point, we all got on our knees, my staff, and we said, God, we can't do it anymore. We have to close. There's too many patients. There's too mm -hmm. much damage. And then the next morning you came. Mm -hmm. You're the answer to our prayers, but I have to go sleep. And then when I'm done sleeping, I'm going to put the roof back on my house. Because <laughs> it's like totally wide open to the rain right now. So I remember taking over for him and he was keeping tally of all the patients the thousands of patients that he had already seen but little did i know that we were going to see about three thousand patients more mm -hmm. in the space of about two weeks only mm -hmm. and this uh <clears throat> particular scenario let's see if we can make these bigger here Oops. there we go so when I looked at all the people coming and coming, did you know the average age in the Philippines is 14? It was amazing. So when we took care of these individuals, all we did was just try to take care of their problem with the limited sort of language and the limited sort of uh, capacity and medications that we could. 
and we gave each person like a Steps of Christ or a book or whatever. But I remember them asking me a question and they said, so where are you from? I said, I'm from the U.S. And they said, do you have air conditioning there in the U.S.? Yes. Aren't you hot here? Yes. Where are you staying here? Are you at the hotels? No. I stay at the house down the street. Do you have electricity? No. There's no electricity. Where do you sleep? On the floor. Under a mosquito net. And with citronella candles to keep them away from me. And I remember them saying, are you from a church? Yes. What church are you from? I'm from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Do I have to be Adventist? No. And they're like, tell me what you believe. Mm. And that was the thing. It's like, I wasn't doing anything special. I was just trying to see as many patients as I could. But just the fact that you're there trying to help someone without any ulterior motive is power in and of itself. And that is what being a missionary is about, right? The burns weren't related to me. There was no ulterior motive, right? They didn't get any extra money for hosting kids over at their house, right? They just wanted to help out. But that's power. Unselfish love is power. Do you realize that? When people know that you're not getting anything out of this, that's a huge thing. And I remember we didn't do one evangelistic campaign there. Did you know that? We not we didn't do one uh, church meeting or whatever. We never did anything other than just see patient after patient after patient. This was like our waiting room. It was just wild. I mean, this is triage. You can imagine. It's like those are the people who have yet to be triaged in the line. And this is one of the ER docs, and they're like, hey, how many more patients do we have to see? It was like hundreds. It was insane. Um, let's see if I can go through here. There we go. This was our, our triage nurse. Can you imagine how many people she has to see? It's just crazy. And it may seem like it doesn't make a difference. Like there's so much need in the world, you may feel like, well, I'm not making any difference but you're making a difference for that one person, right? And I'm not the most qualified individual. You know, I'm an emergency medicine physician. I can only see certain things, but I can do what I can, right? I can, you know, drain this guy's abscess out of his foot that he had an infected wound in. Um, we can hold somebody's hand, right? That they're going through something traumatic. Um, I can assess what damage they have but I can also pray with people. I was able to pray with every single person on all these mission trips. Did you know that? Not one person ever says no. Mm -hmm. No one ever says no. Because when people are in need, when they're in desperation, they're open to the gospel. Mm -hmm. They're very open because you're the only Jesus that they may ever know. Mm -hmm. they, they may not know anybody else. So I was thankful here to be able to pray. And what's interesting is Everybody's happy, even though they've lost everything, because they're happy that you're trying to help them. That's that's the amazing thing that uh, I notice that even though their kids, right, were sick and, and stuff like that, these very kids, when we were done with the clinic, all the kids still stayed. It was really funny. They didn't go home, probably because they didn't have a home, right? So they just kind of hung out 
there and we didn't do any evangelism but we just like started doing vbs we're like hey let's do vbs because we've got all these kids surrounding us so that's all we did we did kind of like some vbs and i <clears throat> i preached i preached i preached um in one of the houses there's no church in this area whatsoever no adventist presence uh whatsoever uh, but by the time we were done seeing patients, both medical and dental, we saw about between between all of them, we saw I'd say roughly 3,000, 3,500 patients. Um, you know, and it's amazing that even though these were little kids, that kid stood still with that huge gash in his leg while I like fixed it. It was unbelievable. Uh, people were very patient. And um, everybody waited their turn. I don't remember one person arguing or complaining or fighting, even our pharmacist, even though there was just one of him. Everyone was very nice. Um, I will say that uh, some people weren't doctors. This guy was a physician assistant and he was a huge help with us. And this, I like this picture because this kind of gives you the whole picture of the reality of it is here's a picture of the Virgin Mary with the flaming heart sort of thing, you know? But that's kind of like passing away. Right? Because that person isn't helping you. The person who's helping you is right here, right? Thanks, babe. That's so wonderful. The person that's helping you is right here. And I want to share a story. I don't have time to go through all the slides, but I was in Bangladesh helping out and this will encourage you there were so many people in Bangladesh and it's like 90 degrees 100% humidity everyone's super hot they're waiting in line people get a little upset so at one point somebody pushed a lady out of the way to get ahead of her and she fell forward into some barbed wire and slashed open her hand and when I saw that fight I said the lady on the ground with the cut hand I said she goes to the front of the line so I took her and I remember her talking in Arabic to my translator. And I didn't even know what she's saying. I'm just cleaning up her hand, sewing up her hand. I talked to the translator later, and he said, what she said was, we're taught to hate the Christians. <laughs> but it was the fellow Muslim woman that pushed me into the fence, and now it's the Christian sewing up my hand. That's the gospel. Right? Just helping somebody with what they need help with, right? Their false religions are going to let them down. But the religion of Christ does practical help. And you can do that for them. You don't have to be a doctor. You can just show kindness. And if people believe that you're genuinely trying to help them, and you're not doing it from any other reason than love, you're going to make a huge impact in that person. And what I tell people is, even kids recognize when you're trying to help them. And I'd say most people will. You know, even though they may be a little bit scared or <coughs> suspicious, if you just ask God to help you and say, God, help me to reach this person, you'll see that the medicine is not really the most important aspect. I didn't do much for this guy. All I did was tell him his problem and I gave him a book. But that's a satisfied customer right there right he was very very happy so we gave him a book and I was able to actually pray for him and that was such a blessing 
what I will share is, you know, out of all of these sort of situations um, that I saw here in the Philippines, one of the things that really kind of impressed me is um, when we talked to people and kind of interacted with them, um, they seem to not be that interested, you know? They seem to kind of just say, oh, okay, can you do this? Oh, you're having this? Oh, okay, stuff like that. And they would take the books, but when you realize um, that what it seems like to you, you may be just doing your regular job, but someone's always watching. Someone's always watching you do that, and it's influencing them because when we left, we had to hire two full-time Bible workers for the number of people who wanted Bible studies. And we didn't do one evangelistic campaign. All we did was he came, saw 3,000 patients in two weeks. We had 100 families wanting Bible studies. Did not do anything other than hand out steps to Christ, do a little VBS, no campaigns, no flyers, no nothing, anything like that. By the time we came back, like four months later, to the same area, we had, um, just by doing medical work, just medical missionary work, for a short period of time, it was not even more than um, maybe two, two and a half weeks, and we went there, short-term missions, and all we really did was, you know, what we would normally do. Someone cuts their hand, we sew it up, right? just do regular sort of stuff. We didn't do any giant surgeries or anything like that. We just did what we normally would do. But by the time we came back, um, four months later, what was really amazing, I'm sorry. Can you see it? I just wanna make sure. By the time we came back, um, four months later, anyone know who this guy is? Pastor Louis Torres, that's right. Pastor Louis Torres. By the time we came back, he was able to be a part of a baptism of 85 people. And they started a new Adventist church in this area where there was no Adventist church. And that was just a result of one short-term mission. But the key is, is that it was helping people at the time of greatest need. And the time of greatest need may not be the worst storm in human history. The time of greatest need for that person may be their kid, you know? who's having trouble with their home. The time of greatest need may be that single mother who's burnt out and maybe just needs someone to watch her kids so she can go to the spa for a day. You know, that may be the greatest need. It may be your neighbor who's a shut-in, who's an elderly person who hasn't had a visitor in two weeks. You know, a lot of people don't have anyone touch them for weeks and weeks on end. You know that? They have their food delivered. They don't have any sort of human contact. You know, if you need 12 hugs a day, that person getting a hug from you, it may be the, the world to them. And I just wanted to kind of end with that, is that it doesn't have to necessarily be the big evangelistic campaign or whatever that makes a difference. It may just be using the gifts that you have. Because the most successful I've ever seen any trip was this trip, where all we did, we just saw patients, there was no evangelism really. But afterwards, we had 85 baptisms. And there was like a new church that started there in that area. But that's what I wanted to kind of end with, is um, can any of you 
think of ways to do kind of short-term missions that has made a difference, or anyone have any questions or anything like that, or how they can get involved? Any thoughts? Mm -hmm. I've been doing mission work in Eastern Europe, uh, Hungary, uh, Romania, and I was invited to Albania, mm. and actually there was uh, pastors that invited me. Mm. And uh, what I have done among my travels, in New Paris, Indiana, there is uh, tracks in many different countries' language. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would take a box. I was in Germany and in Hungary and in Romania. And I would pass tracks out anywhere I could, you mm. know, usually public places. And I, I think there was like, I, I remember how many tracks were in a box. Uh, but anyway, I would say, take this, this is gift. Here's a present for you. I was there around Christmas time. And, uh, you know, I didn't know the people, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just hundreds. I don't even know, you know, busy place, but I would just, uh, you know, just say, you know, be blessed or this is about God. You know, very simple, just to the point. Um, and uh, to me, it was like sowing seeds. Mm -hmm. And I still do that, by the way, but it's on the internet these days, okay? Sure. I send out daily devotionals, inspiration messages, hundreds of people. What are the two works that go to the close of probation? Anyone know? Publishing. Publishing and, and the? Medical, medical missionary. That's right. right Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Yes, Mr. Burns. I'll give you a quick story. Sure. Uh, I had eye surgery. Mm -hmm. And uh, the person that did my eye surgery was uh, the only lady on the team. Wow. She uh, did the surgery and it, you obviously know this practice that every, every surgeon that does a, a procedure needs to contact their patient during the course of that day after work. Mm. This <coughs> surgeon phoned me at 8 o'clock at night. Mm. And uh, she had a baby that was crying. Mm. I could hear the emotional um, stress in this poor <coughs> doctor. I mean, she's a surgeon. Yes. <coughs> I should be with my baby, but this is my duty. Yes, yes. So I, I went back a couple of days later for a checkup. And uh, when she came into the room, I said to her, Doctor, I want to thank you for giving me some of your time that was more important than any other time mm. when you should be tending your child. Mm. I said, I sensed your emotional mm. struggle while you mm. were talking to me. Mm. And uh, I said, when Jesus walked on this earth, he touched people with his hands. Mm. They were healed. Mm. And I said, I want to pray with you. Good. Now June took her one hand, I took her other hand, and I held it in my hand like that. Mm. And I said, Lord, the, this hand 
restored my sight, mm. my physical sight. Mm. I said, I'm holding this hand to ask you to restore her spiritual sight. Amen. Yeah. And she wept her eyes out. Praise God. Went That's back, just what she I went needed. back a, a two weeks later, and she brought her assistant in, and she, she said to June and I, I'd like you to pray for my assistant. Mm. Now, what kind of language and talk had been going on yeah. between the walls of the medical, of the eye, eye place? Exactly. Now, this is, a, this is very important that we, we grasp every opportunity mm. to feed that person with the love of Christ. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Any other thoughts? Any other questions? Or anyone else can share? One more share. I know we've, we've gone for an hour. Well, sometimes yes. within the church, yes, you need to, to be available. And I true. had an experience of a, a young man. He was totally devastated. Mm. And um, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know anything about it. And I just went past and I said, oh. Mm. You know, didn't normally come to prayer meeting. I said, what are you doing here? And then I asked where his little girlfriend was, and mm -hmm. that was the devastation. And it was fascinating how he was just drawn to want to turn away from his frivolous life and get to know the Lord more. Mm. And we're still in contact with him and praying with him and teaching him how to study the Bible and that. Mm. So, yes. That's awesome. It's needed inside as well as outside. You know, that's beautiful because <clears throat> this nurse that I was taking care of, she was part of our team. I saw her at one point carrying an IV pole. I said, what do you have an IV in your arm for? Oh, and she said, oh, I haven't been able to keep anything down for the last day. Mm. And I said, what? She's like, oh, yeah, everything I drink, it just comes up. But I'm okay. I got the IV. And I'm like, no. It turns out she had taken a medication without food that you have to take with food. And it had eroded. It got stuck right here. And it started eroding. And I told her, I said, listen. You didn't have an ulcer there. We don't know. And she's like, ah, oh, I don't want to go anywhere. And the other physicians kind of like talked to her and they're like, ah, it's not that serious. She's okay. She's not vomiting now. And I'm like, no, I think we've got to send you out. She's like, I don't want to go out. I want to keep going with the team. And I said, no, you've got to go. And the nearest, I think, place was Malaysia or something like that. And she's like, I won't go anywhere else but the Adventist Hospital in Korea. And I'm like, oh, boy. So I'm making all these phone calls because I'm the, the one in charge. And the medevac insurance, they always want you to go to the closest place. So I had to fight and fight and fight and finally get them to cover a flight to Korea Adventist Hospital. And when they scoped her... She had an ulcer worn all the way down to the blood vessels. Wow. And if she had opened up, we'd have, we had nothing there. And so what happened when she was that serious, her boyfriend flew from the United States all the way to Korea and immediately got down on one knee before the procedure 
and propose. So she's like, I got a proposal out of it. And I'm like, no, no. But my point is, is that sometimes you've got to work with your own. You've got to work with the people on the team. There may be somebody within the church who's going to bleed out spiritually if you're not paying attention. And you have to ask God for that wisdom and insight. Babe, why don't you close us with prayer? We've reached an hour and five minutes. That's okay. <laughs> Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for showing us that there is a mission field for each one of us, wherever we may find ourselves, wherever you may lead us, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us to see where it is that you would have us to be your hands and feet, Lord. Whether it's just being friendly to the cashier at the grocery store, or just showing a smile to somebody who seems like they're having a hard time, or whether it's going to a foreign country and serving those in need, and whatever talents that you've given us, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to have the courage to go forth and to be a light in this world. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all for coming. I'll give you